Yeah, I'm sorry. It's fine. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't give a shit. If I acted like I did, that was my misstep. Because I don't. You're so strong. <laughs> I'm so brave. Amy. I'm so brave. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. Try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> Cancer for breakfast. Happy Cancer for breakfast. Happy to you. <laughs> um, how's it going? Oh, it's going. What's the haps with you? I'm actually having one of those days. Like my energy, I just like want to like shake my arms and run around the block really fast and yeah, then scream. Shake it off. <laughs> just like get it out of me. <laughs> oh, no. So instead, I'm gonna bitch on my podcast for a couple minutes. Perfect. No, I'm totally fine. I- I just am having one of those annoyed weeks where I've had a few interactions with people who are actually cancer people. Mm-hmm. You and I like to joke about how one of the only good things about getting cancer is we can now talk shit about other cancer people. Yeah. <laughs> because, totally. you know, before we we would have felt like jerks, but now we get to. <laughs> That's right. I'm just kidding. But you're not kidding. We actually do. We, we do. <laughs> Find me any group of people and I will find the ones I don't like in it. We're selective. (laughs) But seriously, though, I've talked a lot about how sensitive I am to how people can be so easily put into like a fear spiral or quote unquote triggered or whatever. And sometimes other cancer people do it to you without being very cautious about it. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to even explain this. I'm going to just try and quickly say it. And then, Steph, I want you to rephrase it in better (laughs) terminology because I'll do my best. There's a type of person that just loves to talk about anything bad that happened to them. Like, it's just part of their Mm -hmm. character. We all know these people like non-cancer people who like just want to tell you over and over like how their landlord did this one thing and how their boss and then they just retell the story. But it's not helping them to process anything it's not helping them to find a solution. In fact, they don't even want you to give them any advice yeah. on how it could be better. They just want to say it and say it and say it. And then there's a lot of like repeating the same story. Like, mm-hmm. But then you meet people who have cancer or have had cancer and they're talking to people that might be newer in the game. Mm-hmm. And then they're just telling these stories that I want to be very clear. I am fine about bitching about what happened to you about what you're going through about what's bothering you especially to other people who have cancer that you're friends with like that's one of the neat things about having community is you can kind of like say things that are on your mind without being judged or without having to manage someone's emotions but when these people these people (laughs) (laughs) are just commiserating about something but it is actually really negative and scary and also very unique to their position or situation too. But it can just be so 
frustrating to me. Uh-huh. Can you like, do yes. I need to do like an example or can you just No. Explain? So here's, okay. here's the thing. So like in the cancer community, we talk a lot about grief tourists, which are people who just like feed off of other people's trauma mm-hmm. and they show up, you know, they don't offer anything helpful, but they just love the gossip and the like, yeah, they want to be around the drama. Yeah. And-, and a lot of times they really relish being like close to it so they can, you know, then pass on the trauma for whatever reason. I don't understand what they get out of it, but it's a type, you know, and I feel like just as those people exist in the cancer muggle world, they also exist in the cancer person world. And like, they're definitely cancer people who are grief tourists. And I don't know what it is that they get from feeding off of that trauma, but it's totally like a gather around children and hear the tale of my horrible experience. And there really is no care given to what other people are taking away from this conversation or how they're going to be able to process it. And like, obviously, we get to bitch about things as cancer people, but you also have to be still a human in the world with some like Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. Yeah. You don't just get to like lay bare your trauma with no care for the other people. Also, like know your fucking audience. Like if you're talking to somebody who's like about to start radiation or about to start a new medication. Just to say, oh, oh, radiation. Let me interrupt you and tell you how awful radiation was for me. And then just go on some side story about how fucking awful radiation was. Without thinking, like, this person's about to fucking start radiation. And for some people, radiation is a fucking cakewalk. For me, it was the easiest part of my treatment, you know? And yeah. To have someone tell me that right before going into radiation would just cause me to be like, yeah, you know? Also, you can say that in a tactful way. You can say, like, oh, wow, radiation was really tough for me. Here's what helped or whatever. Or you can even just wait until they've expressed a need for a solution. Yeah. But instead, I feel like these folks just they need some sort of self-esteem boost that says, hey, you're a valuable and interesting person without your trauma, (laughs) you know, like a, a separate from your trauma. You have important things to say. You don't have to rely so much on this narrative of like everything bad that's ever happened to you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know. But also some people do feel like everything bad is happening to them or did happen to them. And they're just like, what the everlasting fuck? Yeah. But if that's the energy of it is like, what the fuck? Clearly you need to talk about it. And that's fine with me. But when it is just like, oh, did I tell you about when I blah, blah, you know? Yeah. And then tells terrifying story. It's like, we're not sitting around the fucking campfire here. I feel like people get that difference between like an orator and somebody who's like involved in an exchange. Right. Like if you're grandstanding about your trauma, like maybe rethink what you're doing. But if you're in an exchange where everybody is kind of mutually talking about things they've had a hard time with, fine. Mm hmm. Yeah. Or if you're talking to somebody who's more of a peer as far as where you're at in treatment and where you've been, maybe there's like a better comfort level for what you can say and joke around and bitch about. But I don't know. I just feel as somebody who's kind of coming out of my absolute PTSD, I feel so protective and sensitive to newer people in the game because I just relate Mm -hmm. so much to just being so easily set into like great now i'm gonna stay up all night worrying because this person said this one fucking thing and now i just cannot stop replaying that that's gonna happen to me that's gonna happen to me and now 
I'm happy to report I really am coming out of that to where I'm so clearly aware that everybody's situation is so different. Mm -hmm. Everybody has such specific things about their diagnosis, their treatment, just what's going to happen and why. And, you know, like just hearing words said doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. But I realize that not everybody is in that brain space yet. And I'm barely, barely getting there. Yeah. Protect your tender hearts, people. Should we... Read a letter? Or do you want to tell me anything before we read? I got nothing. Let's go straight to letters. I mean, come on. Okay. Okay. So this letter is, uh, she wrote this in response to our last podcast that we almost named the Booze Crows. Mm -hmm. We did. But we named If It Makes You Happy. She writes, hello, awesome podcasters. You raised two of my most urgent, like humongous questions regarding preventing a reoccurrence of cancer in my bod. First, what is the ideal diet if you are both estrogen positive and progesterone positive? What I found on the web is an article, Foods to Eat and Avoid for ERPR Positive Patients and Survivors, dated January 8th, 2021. Author unknown, but sources are cited. It seems to come from a journal or website called Food for Breast Cancer. By the way, I sure would like to know if flax is friend or foe to cancer. We referenced that in the last episode Mm -hmm. without answering it. (laughs) Bummer. But we let people get confused about it and then we didn't say what we thought. Just wait. Um, If flax is friend or foe to cancer, because my breakfast often consists of flax for life brownies made in Bellingham. Each brownie has two grams of fiber, two grams of healthy protein and 580 milligrams of omega threes. The brownies are made from flax flour. My fave are the dark cherry brownies. Yummy. Better than alcohol. LOL. This article, by the way. No, it's not. Susan, come on. <laughs> Liar. How can we trust you when you say that flax muffins are better than alcohol? Okay. This article, by the way, lists flaxseed and flaxseed oil as a reducing reoccurrence of breast cancer. Because the article says to avoid copper supplements found in many multivitamins, I found one woman's multi that has no copper. Nutrigold Woman's 40 plus multi-gold made with organic fruits and veggies. And now I take it. I asked for information from the nutritionist at the Bellingham Cancer Center because the article said to avoid soy protein isolate and soybean paste. The BCC nutritionist sent me an article, Soy and Breast Cancer, which seems to confirm that soy can be good or not so good depending on the form it takes. So with so many recovering from breast cancer, why isn't there a definitive reference guide we can consult that supports our efforts to eat well based on our biochemistry? Huh? Double huh? Triple huh? (laughs) (laughs) Second, is tamoxifen worth the risk or not? I just took my first pill yesterday and I'm waiting to see if I'm in the magical 33% who tolerate it well. I know you've mentioned your experience with this drug, but I'd love to hear more. Thanks again for your scintillating and bodacious podcast. (laughs) Scintillating and bodacious. I love it. Well, oh, Susan, Susan, you've come to the right place because we have a host named Steph. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I love to research soy and flax in my spare time. I think we should answer her questions. But before we start talking about the food and diet stuff, I just wanted to quickly answer your question about tamoxifen and say I 
did tolerate it super well. I was only on it for like five months, but I tolerated tamoxifen even better than I'm tolerating an AI, which is deal with a bowl. Um, yeah. When you hear about how awful stuff is like tamoxifen, for example, people only talk about how awful it is publicly. Right. That's totally true. Yeah. Did I leave a single comment on the tamoxifen Facebook group the five months I was on it doing well? Yeah. Being like, no. Well, today I went strawberry picking. It was lovely. I didn't think about tamoxifen at all. No, because I'm fucking strawberry picking. I'm, you know, exactly. It's like, yeah, all you hear is the negative. Totally. It's, you know, the same is true for everything. It's like people only complain about restaurants. They never leave positive reviews. People only complain about tamoxifen. But I think like what another thing we have to remember is the breast cancer survival rates and stuff are so good because of drugs like tamoxifen. Like, I think that if you talk to women who were diagnosed back in the 70s who did not have these drugs as an option, they would be like, what the fuck? Just take the drugs. Yeah, <laughs> It's kind of the same with like vaccines and people who had polio, like just take it, you know, like yeah. it's available now. Survival rates are so much better. Give it a shot. And <laughs> pun intended. And if <laughs> and if it it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But at least, you know. Right. So. The food thing stuff. The food thing, it's so interesting to me because obviously breast cancer diagnoses like run the total gamut, like hormone receptor positive, HER2 positive, triple positive, triple negative. Like you've got all of these different diagnoses within the umbrella of breast cancer. And so there's really, I feel like no specific thing for breast cancer recovery just to like prevent recurrence. Except for eating healthy, you know, like whole food, plant based Mm -hmm. exercise, just the general life advice that they give. Yeah. But what's really weird, and I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I have been vegetarian my whole life. I felt like I had a really good diet going into my cancer diagnosis. And then when I saw the nutritionist, he was, or the dietitian, I don't remember which is the one with the degree, dietitian. Anyway, the one at the cancer center, he was like, yeah, you know, when you have like a side effect that's really intense, like diarrhea, which I have with the Verzenio that I take, he was like, yeah, you you don't want to be eating raw vegetables, Mm -hmm. which obviously we think of as a staple of a healthy diet. And Mm -hmm. I like to eat raw vegetables like I barely cook my vegetables ideally Mm -hmm. but he was like yeah no that's contributing to your horrible side effects like shit what literally actually told me yes exactly (laughs) he told me i should be sticking to like super 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 hard cooked vegetables Mm -hmm. like very well done seamed vegetables yeah well we get told that you know the most nutrients are in the raw form of the vegetables and fruits but he was like, yeah, and then when you have really bad diarrhea, stick to the brat diet, which is like bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast, which are all of the foods that I generally try to avoid. Right. But the idea is that I just retain as much of the medication as I can. Mm-hmm. And when I'm shitting it all out, like, obviously, it's not beneficial. Right. So it's hard to pin down what's a good diet because it really just depends on what's happening in your body. Right. But as far as breast cancer risk and cancer fighting foods and such. I mean, we know the crucifarious, <laughs> crucifarious, <laughs> cruciferous, 
The Rastafarian vegetables. Yes, cruciferous vegetables. Broccoli wearing a tricolor hat. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always going to say it that way. (laughs) The thing about what we know for sure is good. Sleep is like so important for healing your body, recovery, repair. Mm -hmm. It it sucks because so many medications make our sleep shittier. But hey, try to rest. Exercise. That's a huge one that these are like the proven things, right? That like if you can exercise the amount that they recommend, what is it? Is it like 140 minutes a week? I don't even know. But it's like basically if you can speed walk 40 minutes a day or is it 20 minutes a day and you can even break it up into two or three different times, you know, just like Mm -hmm. run around the block, do whatever. It brings your risk down so much. But as we talked about in the last episode, it's so hard to find the time. Yeah. But we're just telling you what the studies say is beneficial. And that's just a fucking fact. So Mm -hmm. and then high fiber is super proven, like hella proven. Right. Do you I don't know if you have the stats on this and the rats you're going to do about fiber or should I tell you what I think I know? Tell them I do. I do not have fiber stats in, in rats today. Everything I'm saying is just what I kind of remember. So, like, look this shit up because I I don't have all of the stats. But I think it is something like if you eat, like, 35 grams of fiber a day, your risk goes down, like, whatever. It's, like, a big, but it's it's still that thing where statistics are so confusing of, like... Yeah. But if you only eat, like, 25 grams of fiber, that benefit is not there so it's like you have to Mm -hmm. eat like a lot of fiber to get it yeah but good right yeah totally and i think too like these are these are not only for reducing your cancer risk these are for reducing all kinds of health risks so like Mm -hmm. cancer treatment if you do get cancer it depletes so many other things in your body and you don't want to be going into cancer into a cancer diagnosis with like also high cholesterol or also like mm-hmm. heart disease. So these are just generally I think good ideas yeah. for like how how to get through life, mm-hmm. you know, try to lower your lower your risk overall. But then things change pretty drastically once you actually have cancer because they tell us like no intentional weight loss. Right. And then when you're in chemo too, sometimes you just like can't eat normal foods. Mm-hmm. And I had two of responses on Instagram from people who were currently in chemo. Mm-hmm. And one says, I get munchies on dexamethasone days worse than any stoner, but at least my house is clean because I'm so hyper. Oh my God. I love it. It's so true. <sighs> And like, you have to just eat whatever tastes good to you because you have to keep your energy up. You have to have some nutrition. You know, you need electrolytes. Mm -hmm. And then another person said, the only foods I want in chemo are hangover foods like greasy fries and tacos. Mm -hmm. My cancer bestie had a sweet tooth and only wanted donuts and McDonald's apple pies. Amazing. The cravings are almost like being pregnant. (sighs) You know what? I completely back that. Like, I think... If you just want McDonald's apple pies, eat them. That is okay. Whatever you can tolerate during chemo, whatever sounds good to you, just eat something. You would think like 
only have bone broth and then have big salads and so that your body can repair. It's like, just eat whatever you can tolerate. Of course, try to eat healthy if you can and try to have like protein is really, really important, but it's not like you're going to eat apple pies all day long. If you need one, I think you just have to do it. What's funny is like they say, don't have a lot of your favorite foods when you're doing chemo Mm -hmm. because you're going to not be able to eat them ever again. When I was doing chemo, um, some friends of ours, they were selling Girl Scout cookies, their daughter was. And so we like drove out to meet her at her little sale booth or whatever and buy a bunch uh-huh. of cookies. And I was like, oh my God, I'm totally going to just eat a ton of Girl Scout cookies because like, <laughs> I don't give a shit if I never want a Girl Scout cookie again. <laughs> like, I just don't care. Like, they're not a problem for me that I'm trying to avoid, yeah. but like, it's not something I'd be sad if Are I... Are you saying you're not buying Girl Scout cookies <laughs> from my children? Amy? No, I'm saying I decided to do that. And then I like ate them for a, l- a little bit, but then I never had a food sensitivity. So like it didn't do anything. It was just like, oh, I guess I just OD'd on Girl Scout cookies, but I have, I will definitely buy them. from them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think the main thing is just like your body needs nutrition, however you can find it. And there is this really good Instagram account that I like that's really more geared toward parenting, but it's called Kids Eat in Color. And she does such a good job of reframing like what's a quick energy food and what's like a long term energy food Mm. and really focusing on the fact that all food gives us energy. All food has nutritional value. It just depends on like what kind you're looking for in the moment. And so if you can only get down McDonald's apple pies and you're vomiting up everything else, then fucking eat the apple pie Mm -hmm. because yes, that's quick energy. Yeah. Yes, that's sugar, you know. And oh God, can we talk about sugar? Yeah. People say you know, sugar feeds cancer. How could you be eating, you know, cookies and cake or whatever when you're in active cancer treatment? But here's the truth. All food gets converted into glucose. That's the way our bodies function. So yes, sugar feeds cancer, but sugar also feeds every other process in our body. Yeah. And our body's going to find sugar and glucose in anything we eat. Right. It's just going to get it from other places. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I just am looking at her email again because she asked some specific stuff. Speaking of fiber, a really good way to get fiber is flax. And that is something mm-hmm. we brought up because stuff you and I had a like, wait a minute. What do you mean flax is bad? I thought flax was good. Like thing because your nutritionist told you to avoid it. And I said, I put flax meal in my smoothies every day because it's good. Right. And I had been too. I've always put flax in my smoothies because it's a good source of omega-3s, especially if you're vegetarian. But like it has a lot of fiber. So flax is good. Flax is good. Um, Would you like to hear more about that? Fucking tell me now. This week, I thought it would be good to really do a deep dive into the two main phytoestrogens that I feel like everybody says to avoid or not to avoid. There's a lot of confusion around it. Soy and flax. 
And it just was so perfect because Susan wrote us that letter. So I thought, hey, let's talk about Mm -hmm. that shit now. Yes. So phytoestrogens, um, for anybody who doesn't know exactly what they are, they're plant derived, not from our endocrine system. They cause estrogenic or anti-estrogenic effects because they're similar to estradiol in our bodies, which is estradiol is, is what's naturally occurring in our bodies. So phytoestrogens are often discussed when you have hormone positive cancers like breast cancer and then also cervical cancer and ovarian cancer can be affected by hormone levels, even though that's kind of poorly understood. I was looking for some clarity around the effects of estrogen and progesterone on cervical and ovarian cancer. And it looks like there, there's not much that's been studied. So as far as flax goes, human studies around flax are extremely limited. Um, And there is absolutely no research to support recommending flax for the explicit purpose of cancer protection. But that said, there are also no studies that support fear of flax and breast cancer or fear of flax and recurrence. Uh, There are no studies that say flax in any form is going to increase your risk of breast cancer or increase your risk of recurrence. Like I said, there there are limited human studies, so that's a hurdle right off the bat. But animal studies suggest that flax may actually decrease the growth of both hormone receptor positive and hormone receptor negative tumors. In animal studies, also, flax did not decrease or interfere with tamoxifen's actions. So that's another thing that I feel mm-hmm. like is kind of floating around the Internet. That Yeah, that's a, I see that stated all the yeah, time. Yeah, totally. But again, the problem with this is there are no clinical trials. So there's really nothing to back it up either way. Um, A lot of it is just kind of anecdotal or in rodent studies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, bummer. There are some limited short-term human studies of one to four level teaspoons of flax, ground flaxseed per day, altering the estrogen metabolism in ways that protect against breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So... In short, these human studies basically show that ground flaxseed does have a protective effect. Yes. But they're not extensive enough for people to really rely on. Flax oil is something that we do know doesn't have the fiber mm-hmm. and lignans that are really key to the beneficial parts of flax. So flax oil is something that they say kind of maybe, you know, pass on that. But the ground flax is the stuff that they say is actually probably protective. And it might be related just to the fiber, too. Totally. Like how I was talking about how fiber is really. Yeah, exactly. Fiber is super beneficial. We know that for a fact. Um, And then the lignans are the things that have the phytoestrogens in them. So that's the scoop on flax. As far as soy goes, the isoflavones in soy and estrogen don't have the same preference for estrogen receptor binding. So I feel like people hear that they're phytoestrogens and they assume that that means they mimic estrogen in your body exactly, but that's not the case. So as far as soy goes, they don't bind the same way. And we're talking soybeans, soy milk, tofu, tempeh, miso, not the super processed soy kind of foods, mm-hmm. you know, where you'll see like soy as a 19th ingredient mm-hmm. in something. Those are not the ones that we want to promote. But the selective estrogen receptor modulators influence estrogen activity, which could potentially be bad. But soy foods also have favorable non-hormonal effects 
Um, they have low levels of these isoflavones, which are good for us. They have fiber and they have healthy protein. So one thing that a lot of doctors want to point out, it seems like when I'm reading these papers, is that soy offers a better protein than animal fats, just period, point blank. If you're going to be choosing a healthy protein, you want one that also can lower your risk of heart disease, can lower your cholesterol. And there's no other protein source really that does that, mm. um, except for the small amounts of protein that you find in like vegetables. But soy definitely does that. In 2010, there was a study that showed no association between phytoestrogen consumption and breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So again, limited number of human studies, but that's one that people should be kind of relying on. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, a lot of the studies that people cite as far as phytoestrogens go are done in rodents and rodents process soy differently. So mm. they shouldn't be used as a substitute for human studies, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. Like just knowing that, why are you doing these studies on rodents then? But I guess you use the bodies you have. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Oh, rats. <laughs> Poor rats. Um, but one thing that all of these papers I read did stress too, is that the supplements of isoflavones, where you're taking like a pill that has soy isoflavones in it, those are the ones that have really high levels of the phytoestrogens that actually can affect your hormone levels. And so they say no to the supplements mm -hmm. of isoflavones. Just get it through food. Get it through food because it shows protective qualities mm -hmm. across the board. It's good for heart health. It gives you protein. And then also, it can have favorable other effects too. So mm -hmm. like isoflavones do seem to be protective as far as breast cancer goes and then possibly too as far as cervical and ovarian cancer goes. Hmm. But either way, the science seems to really have done an about face where we formerly thought soy and flax were no good. Mm -hmm. Now they're coming around to say, actually, they seem to be protective. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And there have been no studies that show that it's bad. Right. Like soy or flax. So whenever people are saying that it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's because they heard from someone who heard, you know, it's all this myth stuff. It's not like there was a study saying it was bad. And then now there's a study saying it was good. It's like there was never conclusive evidence for it to be bad. Right. Exactly. I think that what happened is the science kind of caught up and we understand now that phytoestrogens don't necessarily mimic natural estrogen. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they would have thought that previously before phytoestrogens had been studied more. But knowing that they don't bind the same way yeah. as estradiol does seems to just make all the difference in the world. Is it like they do bind, but in a way that actually protects you because it's binding somewhere that then yeah. could grow estrogen that then could feed cancer, but this isn't growing your estrogen to feed it, I think, right? Is that true? That is what it seems to be. And I can put, I'll, I'll link to the studies that I used for this rats. There are actually lots and lots of papers about this. And I'm looking forward to sharing this info with my nutritionist because I am disappointed that they were not on the page. I know. And it also like goes to show how much we do just trust our doctors if we trust our doctors, you know? Yeah. Your nutritionist is from like one of the top cancer institutes, right? Yeah. So of course, yeah. when you told me that... He or she had told you yeah. that flaxseed was a no-no. I was like, oh, fuck, really? You know, like, I, I mean, I was like, I don't think that's true, but 
also, oh, really? You know, whereas if yeah, I did say, I was like, wait a minute, who is this fucking person? <laughs> <laughs> I went to the one in the strip mall. No, it's true, though. Like, it's hard. I get that it's hard to, like, stay up to date with all the changes, but I think this was a real blind spot for them. So I'm going to pass on all of these articles. And, you know, like, the overarching theme, I think, of all of the dietary advice that I see for cancer people is, like, limiting any healthy foods is bad news for mm-hmm. cancer people. You don't want to be taking away foods that we enjoy, foods that are actually protective in any way, mm-hmm. because so much gets taken away from us and our appetites change so much. And we yeah. don't want to be restricted when we're just trying to survive, you know? I do want to say that I really agree with Susan, though. Like, why isn't there one space we can all go to that just has a list of all these things that just like, Especially for estrogen, progesterone positive, because that is such a like, oh, this and that, this and that. Why isn't there one place that says, this is good, this is good, this is good. You know, like, this is the amount of fiber. This is the places you can get it. This is, or like if something is unknown or currently being tested, Mm -hmm. like you and I had a similar thing about collagen, which we still need to get to the bottom of and we don't have a definitive answer. But I just am bringing it up to show like I started taking collagen because treatment like depletes your collagen and it sucks. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, this is something I can like put collagen peptides in my coffee every day. Mm -hmm. And then Steph's nurse practitioner was like, no, 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 don't do collagen. Upticks in collagen is associated with higher breast cancer recurrence or something? Yeah, there was there was a study that she sent me that was like it showed that collagen can kind of like form a protective layer around uh, cancer cells. But that's the thing is like, I guess that's why there's no list is because the science is always changing and we don't know then if they after they did that study, if the next study said, oh, actually, it's just this one particular kind of collagen, like collagen AC4. Right. And it isn't something that eating collagen is going to do it the same way that the collagen in your body naturally makes. Like, who knows what the fuck they're actually talking about? But like, I asked yeah. my oncologist about it. I asked my naturopath about it. I asked the nurse practitioner. No one even knew there was anything to do with it, which is also like, what kind of hospital am I going to? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but still, then I think you asked your oncologist and she hadn't heard about it. Or did yeah. you not ask her? I don't know. No, I did. And she hadn't heard about it. It's It's just like there's so much room for human error in this too it's like you you can't constantly follow every single ingredient in everything so like if you see something come through your news feed that's like collagen may be a risk factor then you're like oh shit and then the next day you might have missed an article that says oh actually never mind collagen's yeah. fine <laughs> like yeah that was just in rats and they were showering in collagen and not eating <laughs> right. it or whatever Exactly. Well, we'll try to get the actual scoop on collagen. We have a couple of professionals in our back pockets. We do. We do. That we can ask that aren't just our dumb oncologists that don't know anything. Just kidding. <laughs> Rachel and Allie. <laughs> just kidding. Keep us alive, please. Please. Yeah. So we're as in the dark as most people are. I just know how to Google. So um, <sighs> Susan, we're with you. All right. Well, all good information, Steph. Thank you for being our star researcher. 
Hey, my pleasure. And thanks, Susan, for that awesome letter that prompted us to look more deeply into flax and soy. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and then also anyone listening, I'm thinking about like at the beginning of the episode talking about how you get into this, such fear spirals and, you know, it's so hard to know what's going to be terrifying to hear. And if you think this podcast is not terrifying and has been beneficial and you're a cancer person who knows other cancer people, will you just tell them about this? Because word of mouth is really the only way we're doing this right now. It's so true. And like, we love, love, love connecting with you guys like on Instagram and stuff. Sometimes we'll get a message or get tagged in something and it makes us feel so cool and special. Like maybe that's dorky to say, but community is just what this is all about. For sure. And we're like almost to 5,000 downloads. I know. So that's going to probably happen with this episode, actually, if we keep growing the way it looks like we have been but if you would share so we could hit that 5,000 mark it would be so cool it would be um it's very exciting because really this has been just from people telling other people so yeah it's all word of mouth so thank you cool all right y'all um have a good week yeah and did we say never mind I don't remember <laughs> what so I guess we, we didn't we didn't. <laughs> Damn it. And we're not going to. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out what the fuck we're talking about. Because we don't even know. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehy. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.